First John chapter 5, and if you would, if you're able to, in honor of God, stand as we read his word together. First John chapter 5, we're going to be looking at verses 6 through 12 over the next few weeks, but uh, this morning we're just looking at verses 6 through 9. And remember, John has just talked in verse 1 and verse 5 about those who believe in Jesus, who believe that Jesus is the Christ, and verse 5 says those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and then he offers this as we think about the testimony concerning that Jesus is the Christ. Verse 6, this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, and the water, and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, this, the testimony of God is greater, for this is the testimony of God that he is born concerning his Son. You may be seated, may God be glorified as we study his word together this morning. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for the testimony that is provided for us in your word, and we would ask that you, by your grace, would speak to us, that your spirit would work within our hearts through your word, and our hearts would be softened to the truth, that you give us the ability to apply what we learn, you give us the ability to, to comprehend the depths of the truth here. We pray this for the exaltation and glory of your name, in the name of your son Jesus. Amen. Okay, this is a hard passage. Not going to lie to you this morning, okay? This is a hard passage. And maybe as I was uh, reading through uh, the passage and kind of starting in verse 6 and talking about this water and the blood, you're going, wow, uh, where is he going with this? How is he going to handle uh, this stuff? And um, I've had similar thoughts. Um, a few months ago, January actually of this year, I was driving to Tennessee. And as I drove to Tennessee, I was listening to First John over and over again in the car and thinking about how I was going to, to, to preach through First John and what, what John was trying to communicate. And every time I came to chapter 5, really beginning in verse 6 and, and beyond, there's some tough stuff ahead too. Every time I came to First John 5, 6, I remember thinking, wow, that's difficult. I'm glad that's in the future because I don't know how I would deal with that. So the future's here uh, today, and uh, there's there's some there's some tough stuff. So I encourage you to to stick with me here. We're going to be talking about some some stuff that maybe some of the finer points. Uh, we're not totally sure what John was saying and some of the things that he communicated. But that, that's kind of the bad news. The good news is that I believe that these truths are are so essential for us to know to apply in our lives. And the great overarching truth that John is trying to communicate here about the testimony of God comes through very clearly. And I'm convinced that if by God's grace you learn this overarching truth about the authority of God's testimony, I I believe that is a beautiful truth and a truth that will affect you not just now, but a truth that will impact your eternity. But the truth that we're going to talk about this morning is, is a truth that can have eternal fruit in your life. And so I'm excited about the ability to, to talk through these things with you this morning. 
Now, here's kind of how I'm, I'm proposing we, we go through this. And by, by proposing, I mean this is what I'm going to do if the Lord allows. There's not a lot you could, you could walk out, I guess, but or massive revolt. Um, where was I? Here's how, here's how I want to go through First John. Uh, I want to, first of all, just kind of give an overview of these verses of First John 5, 6 through 9. Just kind of talk about some observations from these verses. And, and, and then as we kind of get to the end of those observations, hopefully you'll be able to hang with me there. And as we get to the end of those observations, I, I think we'll kind of grasp what the, the main point John is trying to communicate there is. And, and then we're going to go kind of back and look at the testimony of the water, the testimony of the blood, and the testimony of the Spirit. And then, if the Lord allows, if we have time, we're going to look at some, some principles very briefly about First uh, John 5, 6 through 9 that will help us as we think about the rest of John, First John chapter 5. Okay, so let's do it. Let's, let's dive in, and let's first look at an overview of verses 6 through 9, and, and just kind of seven observations I want you to make with me as we think about these verses. Here's the first thing I want you to see as we look at these verses, verses 6 through 9. First thing is, the first observation, uh, this passage is focused on testifying, right? This passage, and you include verses 10, 11, and 12 in that, this passage is really about testifying that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. The word testify, or witness in some translations perhaps, occurs some ten times either in the verb form or noun form, about ten times in verses 6 through 12. John is, is wanting us to see the witness to something. A witness is a person who has knowledge of, of some truth, and then based upon their knowledge of some event or some truth or some fact, they, they stand in a place and they proclaim that truth. Think about a person in a courtroom, is called to testify, and they come, and they take the witness stand, and they, they testify to something, they witness to something that they, they knew, they had some knowledge of, and so they, they say, hey, this is what I know, this is what I, I know to be true. They, they testify. Peter, in First Peter chapter 5, verse 1, would tell the elders that he's writing to, he says, look, I'm a fellow elder, and I'm a witness of the sufferings of Christ, okay, so I I, I saw Christ's sufferings, and now I'm, I'm proclaiming them, I'm testifying them, I'm declaring them to be true to you. So that's the first thing I want you to see there. That this passage is focused on testifying, and specifically testifying to the truth that Jesus is the Christ, that he's the Son of God. Verse 1, John says, look, those who believe that Jesus is the Christ. Verse 5, those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Verse 13, he's going to talk about those who believe these things have eternal life. This is written so you may know that you have eternal life. And so verses 6 through 12, in between verses 1 through 5 and verses 13 that follow, verses 6 through 12 is about testifying about how you can, can know these things to be true. Second observation that I'd like you to make as we look at these verses as I want you to notice this, secondly, notice that the first thing that John tells us in this passage is that Jesus came by water and blood. Don't miss this idea that Jesus came. He who came, John says in verse 6. It, it could be tempting to just straight, straight go to the by the water, by the blood, and try to figure out what that means, but First, notice that John tells us that Jesus is the one who came. Now, why is that significant? That phrase, that Jesus is the one, he who came, 
has messianic implications. In other words, it's, it's telling us something about Jesus as the Messiah. Remember last year when we went through the Old Testament, we talked about how all the Old Testament proclaims this, this promise of a coming one who's going to deal with sin. We saw it in Genesis chapter 3 that Jesus was going to be one who came. And we saw in Deuteronomy 18 where Moses tells the people that there's a, going to be a coming one, a prophet like me that God will send you. And all through the prophets we, we saw this idea of Jesus being the one who's going to come and deal with sin. Now, now, John tells us he is the one who came. Think about Jesus' ministry. In Luke seven nineteen. John the Baptist sends two of his disciples to Jesus. And the disciples ask Jesus, say, hey, Jesus, are, are you the one who is to come? Are you, are you the coming one? Are you the promised Messiah? In John six fourteen, the people see the sign that Jesus has done as, he's, as he feeds the 5,000. And what do they say? They, they say, uh, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. And John, as he presents Jesus' ministry in John, the Gospel of John, John constantly refers back to this idea as Jesus as the coming one. In John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, it talks about how the Word became flesh and, and dwelt among us. We've seen His glory. He, he came. And Martha in John eleven twenty seven says to Jesus, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Right before He washes His disciples' feet. In John thirteen three, we read that Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands and that He had come from God and was going back to God, then he washes the disciples' feet. Pilate, in John 18, says to Jesus, you're a king? And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into this world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. So what I want you to see, in other words, is going to help us as we interpret some tricky parts of the passage. The, The second thing I want you to see in this passage is that John uses this phrase, to describe Jesus' messianic ministry. When he says he is the one who came, he's not just saying this is the guy who, who showed up one day. He's saying this is the one who's the Messiah who came to, to do the things the Messiah does, to have the messianic ministry. It's going to help us. Here's the third thing I want you to see in the text. The third thing that I want you to see is that Jesus coming by water and blood has something to do with his ministry as Messiah, right? Look at verse 6. It says, this is he who came, and it's talking about his ministry as Messiah. He who came as the Messiah, he came by water and blood. And so as you try to figure out what water and blood represent, and we'll talk more about that later, it's somehow what we need to see, whatever it is, whatever the water and the blood have to do with it, it has something to do with his ministry as Messiah. Fourth observation the fourth thing that I draw your attention to in these verses is that notice this. There's something controversial about the blood. Now, I want you to remember the context in which John is writing. Remember? He's writing to churches in Asia Minor, and there's been some controversy. There have been some people who've come into the churches and, and encouraged people to, to leave the church and to follow this, this special teaching that they say that they have. And as the people have left the church, there's been controversy concerning who Jesus is. And the false teachers have, have taught that Jesus wasn't fully human and 
They've denied his full deity and humanity. Now, there's something we see controversial about the blood. John says, it's Jesus Christ who came not by the water only, and apparently the teachers within whom John is in disagreement would agree about the water, whatever the water is, but the blood, not so much, right? John says, look, not by water only, but by water and the blood. And so there's apparently something controversial about the aspect of Jesus' ministry that has to do with blood. Here's another observation. The fifth thing I draw your attention to in these verses, last thing from verse 6, is that the Spirit's testimony is in complete agreement with the truth. What does he say? He's just said, okay, Jesus is the one who comes not by water only, but by water and the blood. In other words, uh, here's here's what I'm saying. I'm saying something different than what these false teachers are saying. We're at odds with one another. Now, how are you going to know who's right and who's wrong? Well, there's the Spirit, and the Spirit is in absolute, complete agreement with the truth. And so whatever the Spirit says is going to be what's true. I was reading an article this, actually, I didn't read the article. I was reading a headline of an article that said something about a new smartphone device that's going to come out in the future that can help detect when someone is telling the truth or lying. And I mean, that'd be kind of useful, right? You're, you're a parent, and one kid says one thing, and another kid says another. You say, Hold on a second. Let me get the app out. Okay, go ahead and say it again. And Okay, you're a liar. Oh, you're both lying. Um, so... What, what, what is, what, what's the Holy Spirit here? The Holy Spirit is one who's always with us and can tell us the truth, John says. He's absolutely in complete and total agreement with the truth. Here's the sixth thing. The Spirit, the water, and the blood are all three in agreement with testifying that Jesus is the Son of God. That's the sixth thing we see there. Look at verse 7 and 8. He says, there's three that testify. And, and by the way, some of you may have a translation that includes some additional phrases in there about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We won't have time to go into why. I don't believe those, that's part of the original text this morning. I'll talk about it in the post-Sunday app tomorrow and about what, what's textually taking place there. But verse 7, he says, for there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. They're, they're, in, they're in unity of, of purpose and what they're testifying. So there's these three things that are testifying. The water and the blood, and we haven't talked about what that means yet, and the Spirit, and the Spirit is testifying in agreement with the water and the blood. They're all in agreement concerning their testimony. Why is that important? Well, we see in Scripture that three witnesses confirm a story. Moses says that in Deuteronomy 19. Jesus says in Matthew 18, 16, every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Paul says the same thing in 2 Corinthians 13. And so what John is saying here is, look, the Spirit testifies in absolute agreement with truth. And the Spirit, the water, the blood, they're all saying the same thing about Jesus and who he is. The Spirit, the water, the blood all say that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Son of God. Okay, you ready? Now here's, here's the seventh thing. I think once we talk about the seventh thing, a lot is going to fall into place. I really hope so. Here's what he says in verse 7. I'm sorry, seventh observation from verse 9. The seventh observation that I'd ask you to make 
from verse 9 is that you must believe this testimony because it's God's testimony. You have to believe it. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his son. John says, look, this is, this is my, this is the testimony of God. There's, there's not an observation, there's not a, an option that exists to, to not believe it. Here's what God says and God testifies and, and you have to accept it. And he uses an argument for, from lesser to greater. He says, you're willing to believe the testimony of men, how much more should you be willing to receive the testimony of God? Sometimes when I introduce my oldest daughter, I introduce her as, as uh, my daughter who likes to bite people, which I find hilarious. Uh, every year she seems to find less hilarious, but I think if we all did it, she'd really find it funny. So feel free. Now, the reason I introduced her as a biter is that years ago, whenever I was a new parent picking her up from nursery, I, I had that moment that so many of us have experienced. I, I really feel for you new parents, too. I mean, those of you who are younger, you always walk to the nursery wondering, what are they going to say to me today? What's going to be the, the, the testimony that they give concerning my child today? But I, I've been there, and this one Sunday I, I go there, and the nursery worker has the, the look on her face. It just kind of, you get this, this feeling in the pit of your stomach, I'm being judged. Um, and rightly so, probably. Um, and the first nursery worker says, hey, so we had an incident with, with Hannah today. And the second nursery worker says, yeah, so we had this thing with Hannah. And you're thinking, oh, this must have been serious. And then, like, the third nursery worker tells you, yeah, so um, your daughter bit off the face of another child today or tried to. And like, oh, no. And so, sure enough, uh, apparently my, my daughter had taken her, her little uh, toddler friend's face and and just, like, just chomped down on this. And and each nursery worker informed us of it, and we saw that the child later, and it was just the most beautiful set of teeth marks you've ever seen right there on the cheek, and over the weeks it turned purple, and it was beautiful. Um, but, you know, there, there's that feeling as the first nursery worker tells me what's happened, that you just, oh no, not again, what's going to happen here? It never entered my mind to say, hmm, are you sure? That doesn't sound like my daughter, my princess. Uh, you know, I, I believe their testimony. I didn't say, hey, you know what? Let's 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 look at the teeth marks. Let's check out the pattern. Maybe a little DNA evidence here, and we'll see if it was really my princess. Right? I didn't do that. I believed them. I believed them very quickly. You and I are willing to believe the testimony of people, right? If come, someone we trust comes to us and says something happened, we, we believe it. And John says, look, if you're willing to believe the testimony of people, how much more should you be willing to believe the testimony of God? And and here's what I want you to grasp this morning, church. This is so important, so crucial. If God testifies to the truth of something, you have no right to be skeptical. Do you believe that? If God says something is true, the right response isn't, "Mm, I'm not sure. You have no right to be skeptical. And in our current evangelical Protestant culture in North America, 
Oftentimes, it's just the reverse. Skepticism isn't only allowed, it's, it's encouraged. It's like a, a badge of honor. You know, I'm kind of skeptical about some of the, I don't know some of the things in Scripture are true. Well, congratulations, Scripture says you're a fool. Those aren't my words, that, that, that's God's word. You know, this morning, many of us may be wrestling with doubts about who Jesus Christ is. Whether or not Jesus is really the Christ. And maybe you say, like, you know, I'm like 90% sure. I'm 90, 99% sure, even. But I still kind of have doubts. And maybe if, as you look at your life, you say, there are things in my life that would look different if I really believe that Jesus is a Christ, but I'm not totally convinced that Jesus really was the Son of God, that he was fully God, fully man, that he's risen from the dead and is currently reigning with the Father. I'm not totally convinced of that. And for those of us who have doubts this morning and can look at areas of our life and say, these areas would be different if I fully believed— Maybe we all have some sort of standard of evidence that we say, if, if this evidence existed, then I could be totally confident, and then my life would look different. I would truly place my faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And, and for each of us, again, maybe it's something different. For some of us, maybe it's some sort of philosophical argument. Boy, if I could lay hold of some philosophical argument that would absolutely convince me of the truth of who Jesus is, then I could be confident. If I could create some logical, logical progression that would absolutely convince me that Jesus was who he said he was, then I could, then I could lay hold of that logical argument. I could, could trust in that. I'd have that evidence, and then I would fully believe. Or maybe for some of us, it's, it's, it's historical evidence. If there was some piece of historical evidence that I could lay my hands on and touch, once I had that historical evidence, I could be absolutely confident. Or maybe for some of us, it's scientific evidence. There's some sort of scientific thing that I want to happen or to prove that Jesus was who he said he was, or God is who he says he was. Some sort of scientific proof. And once I have that, then I could be confident. Or maybe it's an emotional experience. If I could feel this, this emotional experience as I, as I pray to Jesus or as I experience God, then I had that and I could really trust in that evidence. Or maybe it's some event. You've said, God, if you do this, then I can know. Here's the problem, right? Here's the problem. If God submitted to your evidentiary burden of proof, whatever it is, then what would be happening is this. Here's God, and here's his authoritative witness. I am saying this is true, says God. And you say, thanks God, now I have this also, and now I'm going to place this above your testimony and really have confidence that you're not just mistaken. see, once you displace God as the center of your authority, you've made an idol out of some other piece of evidence. Now, now don't get me wrong. 
I'm not saying that there's not scientific evidence. I'm not, I'm saying, I'm not saying that there isn't historical evidence. I'm not saying there aren't logical arguments. I, I'm saying whenever you say this is the type of scientific evidence or this is the type of historical or this is the type of philosophical argument I need to really believe God, what you've said is here's God, now here's my idol of evidence, and I'm placing this above God. And here's, here's what I want you to grasp this morning. This is so crucial. God has testified with an authoritative voice and must be believed. God has said, this is who Jesus is. Believe it. And we must. We're going to talk more about our response uh, next week or in the in coming weeks. But this morning, I, I just want you to grasp this idea that God testifies with an authoritative voice that must be believed. Now, with that, with that framework in verse 9 of, of this idea that the testimony of God is greater than men, that he, this is the testimony of God that he's born concerning his son, let's go back and let's look at these different pieces of, of testimony that he provides concerning his son, Jesus, and, and who he is. So the first testimony that we want, want us to see is the testimony of the water. The testimony of the water. Now, now, what is this referring to? There have been a lot of different options given throughout church history. And let me just be very honest with you. I am not totally sure what John means here. I think it was clear to the original audience, but we're not quite as sure now. I do think that we can be confident that somehow it refers back to his ministry. And I believe you know, various options have been given, things like, well, maybe it refers to the water and blood that comes out of Jesus' side of the crucifixion, maybe it refers to his, his birth. Based on a couple things, I believe that this refers to Jesus' baptism. Jesus' baptism. When it says that he came by the water, I think it's referring to Jesus' baptism. First of all, every time that John uses the phrase by water in the Gospel of John, it refers back to baptism. So John one twenty six, John one thirty one, verse 33. Uh, all, all the times that he uses this phrase, by water, it's, it's talking about baptism, the physical act of baptism. Uh, furthermore, again, I think this is talking about Jesus' ministry because it says he came, and his, his coming as Messiah, this messianic ministry. It says he came by water. And so I think he's talking about the, Jesus, the beginning of Jesus' ministry as he, he comes and he's baptized by John the Baptist. Okay, you know, we'll come back to more of that in a second. But what about the testimony of the blood? What does the testimony of, of the blood refer to? Well, I believe the testimony of the blood, again, a lot of different theories given throughout church history since John wrote this. But I believe that this is referring to the cross. Remember, John and his opponents were in agreement concerning the water. They, they both agreed that Jesus came and was baptized and then had this ministry of teaching. But what John is saying is, look, it's not just that Jesus came by water. He didn't just get baptized and then start being this this good teacher and we should listen to his ethical sayings. John, in stark disagreement to these false teachers, believed that the cross was the culmination of Jesus, the Son of God's ministry. 
Jesus, fully God, fully man, paid the penalty for our sins on the cross. And so the significance is that what John is saying is, look, uh, Jesus came by, by water and blood, by the beginning of his ministry with the baptism, the end of his ministry culminating at the cross in terms of his earthly ministry. And, and all of this, from the beginning of his ministry to the end of his ministry, his entire ministry testifies, his entire ministry testifies to his deity, his humanity, and our need to believe on him as the Messiah, as the Son of God. It is incumbent upon us to take the testimony of Jesus' earthly ministry and believe it. He is the one who came by water and by the blood. And throughout Jesus' ministry, our need to trust in him is revealed. It is baptism. The Spirit confirms the Spirit confirms the deity of Jesus and says Mark or John one thirty two, John the Baptist says, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain. This is he who baptized with the Holy Spirit. And I, John says, and I have seen and I bear witness that this is the Son of God. And so the water testifies that Jesus is the Son of God, the beginning of his ministry. All of Jesus' ministry confirms and continues to confirm what God said about him through the Spirit. Remember Jesus says in John five thirty six, he says, The testimony that I have is greater than that of John, for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I'm doing, they what? They bear witness, they testify about me that the Father has sent me. John ten twenty five, Jesus says, The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, even though you don't believe. And so Jesus Jesus' beginning of his ministry is he's baptized, proclaims that he is the Son of God. All of his works proclaim that he's been sent from God. And then the culmination of his ministry on the cross revealed that he is the, the Messiah, the one who came to die on the cross for our sins in our place. His blood is the means by which God's wrath is appeased against our sin. His perfect blood sacrifice deals with the sin that we can't. Here's what John says in John 1.7. He says, The blood of Jesus, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. Revelation 5.9, John writes that they sang a new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. The New Testament writers affirm this understanding of the blood of Jesus over and over again. Acts 20.28, Paul says to the elders at Ephesus, Care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Romans 3.25 says, God put Christ forward as a propitiation. Remember, that means complete satisfaction by his, excuse me, forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith to, <coughs> to show God's righteousness. Romans 5.9, we have been justified by his blood. Ephesians 1.7, we have redemption through his blood. Colossians 1.20, through Christ, God reconciled to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. By the blood of his cross. From the beginning of his ministry to the end, the culmination on the cross, the message is, is very clear. Jesus is the Son of God. 
and by his blood, he deals with the sin that, that we can't. And so verse 1 and verse 5 of 1 John 5 says, look, you have to believe on him. You can't trust in your own righteousness. You have to believe on Jesus. And, and John says, look, he's the one who came. He's the Messiah. He came by, by water and blood, by, by the beginning of his ministry, being baptized, the end of his ministry, culminating on the cross. He's the one who came. He's the one who completely dealt with sin. You have to believe in him. You have to. Okay. Someone, someone came to you and said, you know, I, I saw your child the other day and I, I'm actually a, a doctor who specializes in a, a certain disease and I saw some of the things your child was doing. They're, they're exhibiting symptoms of this disease. It's a very serious disease. It's, it's fatal if left untreated, but there's some things we can do. What, what would you do with that information? You, you'd explore those claims, Right? Those claims are of such severity, of such, such, such awesomeness in their, their impact that you would do everything you could to, to explore the, the truthfulness of the claim of that doctor and find out how intrusive these tests are and how can you help your child if, if need be. The greatness of a claim and its potential impact on our lives makes us culpable sometimes to follow up on these claims. Jesus' claim here could not be greater. The testimony, John says, the testimony of the, testimony of the water and the blood is that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Well, now we come to the testimony of the Spirit. And let me just be honest. Uh, this isn't the testimony you might have picked. Because here's the problem, as I see it. Um, 2,000 years have taken place since the testimony of the water and blood, right? Jesus comes, he does these things as Messiah, and and some people write him down, but, you know, it's been 2,000 years, and how, how can we know? I mean, am I the only one that ever struggles with that? I mean... How can you know that, that these things are right? How can you know that the, that the testimony of these people is correct? How can you know that the testimony of the water and the blood is, is true? And, and again, if, if you ask me, Daniel, why don't you, if I was sovereign, Daniel, why don't you provide some, some means of, of verifying the water and the blood, the testimony of the water and the blood, the testimony of Jesus' ministry? Maybe I would be tempted to say, well, let's, let's design this airtight logical construction that no one could possibly disagree with. Let's like uh, preserve some sort of historical evidence. Let's get the scientific thing in here so we can like, this sounds heretical as I say it almost, but like a DNA evidence proof that Jesus is like the, the son of man, fully human, fully, I don't, you, you can't do it. Anyway, um, th- there's something else I might pick. But what God chooses in his sovereignty for his glory and his exaltations that he alone is worshipped. You know the evidence that, that God provides? Who he provides as the one who's going to verify the truth of all things? It runs completely contrary to what you might demand. It's the testimony of the Spirit. It's the testimony of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit's ministry in the past, the present, 
and will continue in the future. His, his ministry is to testify to the truth, and specifically the truth concerning Jesus Christ. Matthew one eighteen says that Mary was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Matthew 12, 28, Jesus, as he talks about his ministry, says, look, if it's by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons and the kingdom of God has come upon you, Acts 10, 38, they're talking about the ministry of Jesus and say, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. The Holy Spirit's job was to confirm the truth of who Jesus was and there was a a Spirit-empowered ministry that Jesus engaged in by the power of the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's ministry was to to proclaim the truth of what Jesus was proclaiming. John chapter 1, we already talked about how John the Baptist saw the Spirit descend upon heaven, that he confirmed who Jesus was. John 14, 17, Jesus talks about the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he, the Holy Spirit, dwells with you and the Holy Spirit will be in you. Do you understand the importance of that? Who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is the one who is in you and testifies to the the truth of who Jesus is. John chapter 15, verse 26. When the Helper comes, the Holy Spirit, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, what will he do? He will bear witness about me. John 16, 13. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. 1 John chapter 4, verse 6. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the Spirit of truth and the Spirit of error. The Holy Spirit testifies to the truth of who Jesus is. And while we might say, you know what I would like? I would like this emotional experience. And when I have this emotional experience, I'll know what the truth is. That, that, that way I can be confident that this thing is real. God says, look, I have spoken to you on the basis of my authority. And I'm speaking to you through the Holy Spirit who is in you, who testifies to the truth. Now, how does he do it? How does he do it? How do you know when it's the Holy Spirit who is speaking to you. I've heard some people say, and you have too, some crazy things, right? I've been in meetings with other Christians and a guy will say, you know what, I really think we need to do this. The, the Holy Spirit told me. I'm like, wow. I, I really disagree with that. Am I, am I disagree with the Holy Spirit? I, I don't know. But how, do you, how do you know? How do you know that it's the Holy Spirit telling you to do something and not just like the pizza you ate last night, right? Or ate later today at your newcomer's dinner. Plug there. How do you know? How do you know? The, the primary way that the Holy Spirit speaks to us is, is what? It's, it's, it's through his word. First Peter Peter writes, look, the Old Testament prophets, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you and the things that have been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. As they wrote down these, this prophetic word, it was the Holy Spirit speaking. Paul in Acts 1.16 says, 
brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David. And so you, where, does this, where does the Spirit speak? He speaks through the word of God. In Acts 28, 25, Paul said the Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet. In other words, as Paul quotes Isaiah, he says it's the Holy Spirit speaking through Isaiah. I, I several other examples of this, but John seventeen seventeen, Jesus says, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. How do we know? How do we know what the Holy Spirit says? It, it's through his word. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean for us this morning? What it means is that whenever you and I open 1 John chapter 5 together, and when I read verse 1, and I read the words, that Jesus is the Christ who has been born of God, the Spirit testifies to you that that is true. When I read the words in verse 5, that Jesus is the Son of God, the Holy Spirit within you confirms that that is true. We receive the testimony of men. The testimony of God is greater. And for God to say, okay, I'll let some other testimony be whatever it is, be of, of greater authority than my testimony. We've, we've, we've made an idol out of some other evidence. And God says, no, 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 guys. This is the testimony that I have given. I have given the, the ministry of my son Jesus, the spirit and the blood, or the water and the blood, this testimony of his life, his, his perfect ministry and his death on the cross. That's my testimony. That's my authoritative word. And now I have given you myself, the Holy Spirit, who confirms to you that this is the truth. Now, what is our response? Believe. Four principles very quickly very quickly here. Principles that are going to help us next week, and I apologize. You're not going to have time to, to if, you're, if you're trying to write them down, we'll try to get to them, to them uh, again next, next week, or I'll put them someplace else. But number one, Jesus' ministry from baptism to death declares he is to be believed upon for the forgiveness of sins. His ministry from the beginning to the end declares and proves and testifies that he is the one to be believed upon for the forgiveness of our sins. How do you deal with sin? through Jesus, through faith in him alone. Secondly, the Holy Spirit's ministry of the past, present, and future testifies to you that Jesus is to be believed upon. We see the Holy Spirit's ministry and and we believe. Thirdly, the Holy Spirit speaks through Scripture and he is absolutely authoritative. Silly things we say sometimes. Things like, well, think I can discern God's will through like some sort of hocus pocus. Almost like witchcraft. I'll pray and God, if A happens, I'll know you want me to do this. And if B happens, I'll know you want me to do this. That's just silliness. Or to say, well, I can't know God's will. I can't hear him through scripture. No, the Holy Spirit speaks through scripture and is absolutely authoritative. And then finally, God's testimony must be believed. God's testimony must be believed. Now, do you see what's happened here? Do you, do you grasp what's happened here? You've been on the, the judge's seat. 
And, and now God says, no, you, you've been completely taken off. You're not the judge. You, you don't get to sit over me and decide what evidence you'll receive and what evidence you won't receive. I, I am the absolute authoritative judge. You know, there's, there's times in my parenting where sometimes my kids will say, now, Dad, I don't understand. Why are you telling me to do this and that? And I'll say, you know what? Here's why. Let me kind of explain. And there's sometimes where I'm like, you know what? Um, when I have time right now, this, this is what it is. You're doing it because I said to. You're doing it because I'm, I'm, I'm dad. I do that especially when I sense kind of a rebellious heart and the, the kind of that, that challenging question. I say, hey, you know what? Bad news, you're just doing it because I, I, I said to. And God's calling you to, to listen to me. And I'll ask your mom later, why am I doing this again? You don't get to debate the evidence with God. You don't get to weigh the evidence. You don't get to say, you know what? Uh... I'll, I'll wait. I'm just going to kind of hold off here, God, and, and see what other evidence comes in. No, no, here's what happens. God says, I'm God. I'm absolutely, completely authoritative. And verse 9, this is my testimony. I, I've spoken. This is the testimony I have spoken concerning my son. And if God weren't supremely authoritative, it would be completely reasonable and completely okay to say, I'd like to kind of debate this. I'd like to think it over, kind of mull it over, but here's the problem. God is absolute God and in complete authority, authority. And our only appropriate response to God's testimony concerning that Jesus is his son, that Jesus is the son of God, that he is the Christ, that he is the one who deals with sin in a way that we cannot, the only appropriate response is to say, yes, I believe. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your testimony concerning your son, and we we do believe it. We trust in it. We don't always understand the full implications of that, but Father, by your grace, we believe it this morning. We testify to it as well. We pray that your Holy Spirit would continue his work of confirming this truth in our hearts by your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.